Good evening. This is Truth Live Shenanigans, the live show for Wednesday, November 18th, 2020. I go by the name Neo Nix, and I'll be your moderator for all the shenanigans today. Let's introduce you to my co-hosts, our professor and journalist, Lizzie Ender. What's up, what's up? Happy hump day, everyone. It's Wednesday, midweek. Gotta tell you, I don't know how many humps I have left in me today. It's been a very long day. <laughs> how many humps have you had today? <laughs> no, on the paper. So, you know, forgive me, forgive me if I disappoint on the hump end. <laughs> All right. And uh, right below me, our Canadian rock star, Rob B. Rock. Happy hump day, everyone. No disappointment from the humping over here. It's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> And our production assistant, Gianni, will be online moderating our Facebook comments. So be sure you say hi to her online, guys. What's up, Gianni? All right. Today's show, we have a guest spotlight, activist lecturer from in Howard University, Professor Cyrus Hampton. For our hot topics, Lizzie will be talking about Candace Owens claiming men wearing dresses is unmanly. Robbie asks, should transgender men be allowed to change their child's birth certificate from mother? And if we have time, I'm wondering if Biden and the Dems have the guts to lock up Trump. <laughs> Lizzie, Can't wait to get I know, I know. <laughs> Lizzie's, Lizzie's chopping at the bitch for that one. All right. Our show streams live just about everywhere, YouTube, Facebook, Periscope, and Twitter at TLS Live Show. And you can watch us live at truthlieshenanigans.com. Remember, share the feed, invite your friends. Most importantly, join in the conversation with us. We want your live, tweet us, yes. We want your live comments to be part of the show. Our podcast listeners will want you to be asking the right questions for them. And don't forget, so you never miss an episode, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or Amazon Music. Hey guys, it's time for a quick fire question. Bring, 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 bring. All right, Lizzie's favorite rapper, Lil Wayne, just got arrested on federal gun charges. <laughs> You'll remember just before the election, he became an official Trumper. Anybody think Trump will come to his rescue, Lizzie? Trump can't even come to his own rescue right now. He is not thinking about Lil Wayne. Weezy, Weezy. Nope. <laughs> Robbie? Uh, Little Wayne was nothing but a prop. And if you're not in the Trump family, there's zero allegiance. No presidential pardon for you. <laughs> I know with all this criminal uh, reform that Trump was doing, he, he might have to reach out. <laughs> Has he mentioned Lil Wayne since this photo op? Oh, heck no. Has he mentioned, has he even mentioned poor Herman Cain, who died, fell on his sword? For the Trump campaign, well, well, very alert. Well, you, you know, very you know, Trump, Trump has done so much for for the black people, you know, and and so yeah, more than Lincoln for, for the black. More than Lincoln, he's, he's more than black. John Lewis, more than Lyndon Johnson, more than anybody. More than <laughs> yeah. anybody. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe Lincoln, maybe, <laughs> maybe. According to him, according to him. My question is, who didn't see this coming with Lil Wayne? Oh like, yeah, are yeah. We, are, are we surprised by this? I mean. It's kind of weird how, it, it, you know, like he didn't bring home, you know, the election for Trump. So maybe Trump is like, you know, go ahead and get him. Exactly. Well, you know, he got the endorsement. He didn't get the result. 
So there's no love. <laughs> I, I'll well, be surprised know, if he if reaches out to him. There's some idiots out there who are putting this on the good sis Kamala Harris because <laughs> she's a former prosecutor. They're saying that, you know, how dare Lil Wayne. I heard that. That was some ridiculousness. So she's going to use her, her clout to get him arrested on some charges in Florida. As if she has nothing else to do, as she is <laughs> VP of these United States. All right. I swear. Looks like we have uh, Monica Alicia online, and uh, Mike Winter says uh, Wheezy is the Bama for life. <laughs> Wheezy, Wheezy. <laughs> Wheezy. All right. Let me tell you a little bit about Truth Lies Shenanigans. We'll be sharing our truths and opinions with you, calling out the lies, and pointing out the ridiculous shenanigans going on. But most importantly on this show, we are going to have fun with some shenanigans of our own. But there is one rule and one rule for Lizzie. No cussing. Yeah. How has that worked for you so far? <laughs> yeah. No cussing, Lizzie. We'll see. We'll see if she can, she can, she can do it today. <laughs> it's been working pretty well for you this round. No, she, you know, she, cussed, she cussed the last, she cussed, no, she cussed last show mm. without a quote. <laughs> Well, tonight, I'm keeping track. Tonight's spotlight guest is a coworker of mine, so I wouldn't want him to think. There you go. Ill. So at mm. least through his segment, you know, I'll try to keep it dialed in, you know, inwards, inwards, inwards. Well, great. So that's a great segue. So we have our Tooth Lies Shenanigans Spotlight tonight. Our guest is Cyrus Hampton. There he is. Hey, Cyrus, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing pretty all right. How are you, how are you all doing? Doing really, really good. Doing well. I can have you here. <laughs> all right. Yeah, thank, thank you all so much for having me on. Thank you. All right, let me introduce you to Cyrus. Cyrus Hampton is an instructor and the assistant director of the first year writing program at Howard University. He teaches English and writing and has a penchant for using sci-fi and music videos in the classroom. He has a history of activism, most recently working with the Ida B. Wells Education Project, and group, a group aimed at, the, at providing free anti-racist teaching tools, training, and support for classroom educators, created by classroom educators. He has been volunteering with the union effort for Howard University's lecturers and instructors, instructors since arriving at Howard in 2017. Again, we do thank you for joining us, Cyrus. Welcome, welcome, yeah, welcome. Really good to be here. So, Cyrus, uh, tell us a little bit more about yourself, what you do, uh, what you're doing at uh, Howard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, I'm originally from D.C., and uh, one of my best friends, uh, uh, her mom worked at Howard, and so I was always hearing all this really fantastic stuff about it. Um, and so, then I ended up going to Howard uh, uh, for my undergrad, and it was a, a fantastic experience. Um, and so, then... Uh, uh, that, that sort of projected me, like so many people from, from Howard, into further education and, and, and further learning. Um, and so after grad school, um, I was talking with, with uh, uh, one of my old mentors, and she was saying, we, we need some more good people in the English department. Um, do you want to come teach? you want to come be a lecturer? So that's, that's you know, not a, a tenure track role, but uh, I was really excited for the, with the thought of sort of coming back to Howard and getting to be a part of the learning that so many people the, the, the positive learning that I got, I, I was I really wanted to give that to other people. So 
you know, I, I jumped at the chance and uh, came back to DC uh, to, to, to work at Howard. And it, it, it was, you know, exciting and fantastic, but um, probably as, as Lizzie might be able to say, there, there are some caveats to that excitement and that positivity. And, and so, yeah, so, so pretty early on, I got, uh, got set up working with some of the other lecturers and with folks from SEIU Local 500 um, to, to take part in the unionization effort. Okay. So, you know, Lizzie Enders is our resident Howard professor. So I'm going to let her ask you the next question. So fun question first, you know, we'll get the fun, you know, the little icebreaker first. So your last name is Hampton. And most people <laughs> in the area who are familiar with HBCUs knows that Howard and Hampton are rivals. So why not Hampton? Why, <laughs> why not Hampton? Over Hampton? <laughs> I, I, I just I had that connection here. Uh, 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 my friend's mom, she was teaching in the history department. And I just, you know, I just seen so much growing up in D.C. I've seen so much good stuff at Howard. And everyone, you know, is always excited about Howard, H-U, H-U, H-U um, uh, versus H-I. Uh, no, no offense to the to the uh, Hampton folks. Um, well, I guess that, that they might take some umbrage with that, but uh, such is the way. Uh, but, but yeah, it was just, there was so much, you know, getting to be around, around the campus and just get the general energy and then seeing, uh, people who were on campus and talking about, it, I just, I couldn't help but, but come to Howard. Um, but then funny story at Howard, uh, one of my roommates, uh, had the last name Howard. And so at the, at a couple of the Howard Hampton games, he would, he was a strong guy. So he'd pick me up and carry me around and we'd have a, have a whole Howard versus Hampton thing. Howard Hampton. <laughs> I actually have a couple of students. I don't have any Hamptons in my class, but I do have um, a couple of students in my classes with the last name Howard, and they wear it very proudly. You know, they always come to class with a Howard t-shirt on, Howard sweatshirt, so they are proud to be at the Mecca. So how did you first get started with the union at Howard? Like, what propelled that? Yeah, so when I first got to Howard, I was just sort of out of the gate, having some pretty rough problems. Um, there were just issues uh, getting getting onboarded. So you know, getting basic things like getting an email address, getting access to Blackboard, which are our it's our digital teaching tool, sort of how you hand out handouts and assignments and do grading. Um, and really importantly, I wasn't getting paid. Um, uh, they were they were saying, you know, oh, we just don't have you in the system yet. System yet. Just wait, just wait. And so I was sort of talking around with people and trying to figure out what was going on and what I could do. And I started hearing some people, some of my fellow lecturers talking about um, unionizing, right? They're saying that Howard uh, lecturers had tried to unionize years before, but that it had been a long time and it wasn't successful, but they were trying to push unionizing again. So they reached out to uh, SEIU Local 500 and they were working with them. And so I sort of got to sit in on some of those early meetings and then lo and behold, it just all came together and I started working with the, the effort to get unionized. And with that effort, like what has the process been so far? So you're start, you're talking about starting in 2017. So we're three years out. Um, and I started at Howard um, last year. So it was um, fall 2019. And I experienced some of the similar things that you just talked about in which there was a delay in payment initially um, and and that and a delay in getting onboarded and so that kind of shapes your semester if you will because if you're not onboarded and you don't have any 
email, a Howard University email address, it's very difficult for you to contact your students. So how, what has the process been um, to change some of this, to get some of this moving forward, if you will? Yes, yeah, so, I mean our our, our big effort uh, has been sort of trying to trying to just get the, the the initial contract down. So a lot of unions they'll they'll uh, vote on whether they're going to unionize or not. We we did that vote um, in uh, spring of 2017, um, and then the next step was to start negotiating on contracts. We were all excited about you know the thought of what we could change at Howard that would better teachers' lives, better students' lives. Because like you said. You know those problems that we face also affect our students. If I if I can't get my email, how am I supposed to get in touch with my students uh, in COVID times? And there are many people who had some trouble getting onboarded this year as well. Um, in COVID times, if you can't get your email, you can't get your Zoom license. Um, how are you supposed to hold class? It's difficult stuff. Um, and so we were excited to sort of see things change. There there are a couple other really big big issues that, that uh, are definitely worth talking about that we're facing. We have a seven-year cap uh, on, on uh, employment. It sort of forces people out of, the, out of the school after seven years. We have really low pay. All these things you know, contribute not only to a rough time for lecturers, um, but also a rough time for our students too. Um, and, and so we were thinking we were going to get to change that, talk to people, say, you know, hey, this is what we're dealing with. You all are educators. You, you are administrators at Howard. You care. You want to see things changed, but um, when we got to the bargaining room, to the negotiating table, um, it was rough. Uh, they, they just immediately out of the gate, it was really disrespectful, really negative, really oppositional. You know, they came in wanting to fight, uh, and we were saying we <laughs> we love Howard. We're all here because we love Howard. We're all here because we have some connection here, and we we you know Howard is unique in its in, in its mission uh, to to sort of better the world, to create leaders to that, that can help work towards sort of social equality. Um, that's our historic mission. That's unique in the, uh, among many universities. And um, they they were not of that mindset. They were of the mindset of, oh, you all are enemies. You all want to tear us down and destroy things and mess everything up. And we, we you know, it, it never quite managed to get to that point where we were having a meeting of minds with the, the folks from the administration. Um, and from, from Howard, Howard's administration, that is. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we've been battling over just getting our first contract done ever since. That's been, you know, two and a half years of, of that, two and that half sort of back and forth fight. Wow. Yeah. That is and I also crazy. It's, it's one of those things where as soon as you say union, people get skeptical, people yeah. get defensive. Um, in the and U.S. They think now, yeah. In the U.S., yeah. And, and so that alone causes like a lot of friction even before you get mm. to the table as soon as the word union yeah. or union rep is involved you're already on opposite ends of the spectrum um what i like to tell people is that you know again i have only been at howard for a year and a half now for three this is my third semester um i teach this semester five classes which has been a little challenging but i enjoy being at howard because i appreciate that i am offering my students representation that I'm giving my students an opportunity to see someone that looks like them, whether it be just because I'm a black person or extended beyond that, a black woman, giving them the opportunity to see someone who is going against the stereotype or the national expectation for a black person coming out of Washington, D.C. And on top of that, someone who can teach with a curriculum 
that has them in mind. And I can't tell you the number of students that I've had who've been like, okay, we didn't learn any of this in all of my, you know, 12 years of primary and secondary school. So I enjoy teaching at Howard. I love what Howard represents. I love what Howard is. However, with a lot of great systems, there are some cracks. There are some problems. And so I I don't want people to think that you and I are here to like, you know, kick Howard or drag Howard through the mud. We want to work together with the university to see how we can fix these cracks in the system so we can better our professors. Um, and that's the, the one, you know, one note, the one word that I want to get out there. Like, I enjoy my time at Howard. Um, yeah, and, and always- I... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was going to say, I, I think I think you and I are indicative of that, right? I, I'm at Howard because of the, the experience I had during my undergrad. You're at Howard because of your passion for it, for because of your, your sort of what you like and, and hope you can offer to your students. That's that's all of the lecturers. That's all of us together. And, you know, people do get scared by that union title. But the reason we're here is because, you know, we need to have our voices heard. We we see the the, the president. And the administration of Howard see certain things that we don't see when up at their level, but we see certain things that they don't see down at our level where we're working directly with students every day in the classroom, right? Yeah. There's certain things that we're aware of and we're focusing on. And, you know, to, to run an organization, well, you have to be hearing from people at all levels. And the union is not about, you know, arresting power or stealing power from anyone. That, that's, that's not something we could do. Um, and it's not something we're trying to do. But we're we're all about trying to make sure that People who are on the ground working with students who, who see what's going on in the classroom, who are guiding what's going on in the classroom, make sure their voices are heard and that, that the environment is good for teaching, that the environment is good for learning, um, and that we aren't making some some mistakes that might be made or that we, we don't continue making mistakes, I should say, um, that are being made as far as how, how things are being run uh, with the lectures. Well, I have a question. Um, so where are you currently in... The negotiations. I mean, are you close to closing in on a contract? Are you far apart? Are you where are you currently? So it's it's been a real battle. Um, we the, the the two big things we really fought over, and, and where we've sort of been stuck for for basically at least two years. Um, there's this seven year cap um, where. It's, it's this old, strange rule that nobody can quite come up with a good explanation for where after seven years, they have to let you go. Um, have to it let doesn't you let, go. Like, like, they have to let you go. They, they, the, the one option is that they have, they have the role of a master instructor, which, which a couple of us are lucky enough to have, but they have a very tight limit on who can be a master instructor and on how many master instructors they can have. Um, yeah, I, but this is, Let me jump in. I want to be clear. So you're saying that in seven years, if you've worked there for seven years, you basically are expected to leave. If you are not a only lecturer. expected, if you're a lecturer, okay. if you're a lecturer, but but not only expected, the department, if the department wants you, and they don't have a slot to make you into a master instructor, they have to to let you go. This happened, and, mm. and to to give you a picture of you know how extreme this is, Tony Morrison was a lecturer at Howard, and at seven years, bye. Tony Morrison, really? Late great Tony Morrison. Roberta Flack was a lecturer at Howard. Seven years by, right? Like, so, you know, it's not even about keeping good people. We're constantly losing good people. It's really really sad, actually, because those are people who are gone forever. We can't get them back at Howard. Mm -hmm. 
Um, that's that's it. And and so we have that seven year rule that they are dead set on keeping, and and that's been one of the really big sticking points. They they we we've never really heard a good explanation of why they want to do it. We've asked them, um, but they never really wanted to give us an explanation. Um, sometimes they would say a couple things about oh it gives us more options, but I don't I'm not quite sure how forcing departments to let people go gives you more options, but that's a separate thing. Um, and then the other big thing that they're, they're, we have a sticking point on is they're saying, you know, basically, this is where money comes in. We're the, the least paid uh, full-time faculty in the area <laughs> by far. You know, we're, we are at, or in some cases, depending on if you have kids or not, below the cost of living in D.C., um, we we do not get paid very well. We're not we're not asking for anything absorbent, but we're just trying to get up to cost of living, and we're not even quite there. Um, Robbie, I wanna, and um, and the, you, we're still talking lecturers, right? Or are we talking professors? We're, well? we're, we're talking lecturers. But yeah, professors the, the instructors are a little bit all right, but but no, the the, the full time the the the, um, the tenure track professors are in a different boat, right? So to help clarify a little bit, a lecturer is a non tenure track person, right? So a lecturer works on a one year contract. And then they can rehire you up until seven years and they have to say goodbye to you. Um, the master instructors work on a three-year contract. The traditional idea of the professor is a tenure track professor. They have they have tenure, they are kept pretty much indefinitely. Um, but but what we're talking about, we're talking about the folks who are working on shorter contracts but are still full-time, uh, full-time professors mm-hmm. who do you know a full job, teach a full course load at Howard. I mean, that's that's a sizable, sizable number of classes. All right. I want to let Rob B. get in for a question, then I want to yeah, do some yeah, questions yeah, online. Are the tenured professors uh, at Howard unionized? Uh, the tenured professors are not legally allowed to unionize. It, it can vary place to place, um, but they're not legally allowed to unionize. So the tenured professors at Howard are not unionized, no. Okay. Are there other teaching, uh, I'm just thinking any teaching associations or other unions that you have approached or who are lending their support? Uh, Because I understand that ratifying that first collective agreement is very difficult because that's most employers have that attitude where they feel attacked with, well, no, hey, I'm giving you a good job and you're asking for more. And it's, it's backwards thinking because you want to enshrine what you have so that you can have a better quality life and deliver a better quality product. And the retention is so important because if you have quality people, you're adding, if education is your product, you want to add to the quality of it. So, um, yeah, I'm just curious, what other labor groups have you been working with and which ones have been really instrumental in providing support? Yeah, we've also, been working with SEIU wanna, Local 500. I just want to throw another oh, question. I'm sorry, there's one other question, if you can add on to that. It's similar. So Ruben Gorin online asks, have you checked with other schools, regional HBCUs, to see what they're doing regarding unions as well? Yeah, so we've been working with uh, SEIU, uh, sorry, excuse me, SEIU Local 500, um, who have been doing a lot of uh, unionizing effort for uh, higher education. Um, there, a- after uh, the Obama years, there was a little bit of an opening um, where uh, people who would, even, even though, you know, uh, as we see in the case of Howard, a lot of people in higher ed are actually not making a ton of money. A lot of us are working uh, in what you could say are exploited positions. Um, and so SEIU Local 500 had an opening to be able to go, and, and they and a number of other sort of uh, uh, unions have been doing the work of uh, unionizing with 
higher ed folks, especially with adjuncts. Uh, they actually unionized with adjuncts just before they, they started the process with us. Um, uh, and they've, they've been really fantastic uh, working with them. They, they have a lot of sort of vision of what's going on um, uh, broad, more broadly, what's happening at other universities. Um, sadly, they have told us, you know, this is the most aggressive pushback they've seen from pretty much any employer, but certainly from any, any university. Um, uh, Howard is really dead set on just sort of our way is the way. Um, and so, so, you know, while we've been getting a lot of guidance from SEIU, they're, they're also sort of, we're, we're all working together to try to see sort of what are other groups in the, in the region trying to do? What are other SEIU uh, unions in the region trying to do? And how can we sort of try to learn from that and, and find some way to, to talk with Howard? Um, the, the thing I really liked about them, they, they've just been really positive the whole time. Again, because I know that early, that you, again, that, that truth, that there's a lot of truth behind that idea that people hear union and get afraid. And our whole time, they've been, we've sort of always taken the stance and SEIU has always pushed us to take the stance of like, you're at Howard because you, you really care about Howard. You're, you're working with these students because you care about these students. What can we do to make this a collaborative process? And um, it just, it has never been in that collaborative space. So it's, it's really disappointing. But, you know, every, everything that, that our union has done has been in concert with them and that they've been really, really fantastic. All right. Um, Just quick follow up. Outside of academics, is any of the support staff on campus unionized? There, there are multiple uh, uh, unions also functioning on campus. Um, uh, we've talked with them some to sort of see, and, and we've tried to show some support, some support uh, for for some of them as well. Um, but okay. Howard, as, as a lot of universities are, can be sort of disparate. So we we aren't we're not closely working together with them, especially now that COVID is happening. Yeah, there's Thank a you. ton of questions and comments online. Um, we only have about five more minutes, so I'm going to try to go through a few of these, um, see if we can get some of these questions answered. Um, so Jeanette Brown points out that they aren't paying for tenure. They're booting the people with experience to let in newer, cheaper people. Um, there's innovation that comes from such a regular turnover, and that's a ton cheaper for the university, but an expense or comfort of safety or loyalty, no way to attract or retain talent. What are your thoughts on that? Can I just comment on that sure. very quickly? Oh, go ahead. Like, Please, yeah. When, at least for me personally, and maybe you experienced this as well, Cyrus, when you are a new professor or a new lecturer coming in, you really aren't thinking seven years down the road. Right. So it, it doesn't really occur to you that I could be dropped immediately seven years, no matter what, regardless of if I'm the best teacher in this group, the best professor in this group, if my students love me, if I have all of this positive feedback, it, 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 not, it wasn't something that I thought about. Like even now, I'm not really thinking about seven or now six years, six and a half, five and a half years from now, even though I probably should. Um, but it's, I think that's a part of the trap, if you will. And when I say the trap, I don't mean that in a malicious way on Howard's part, but it's not something, it's not the thought process that when you go in, okay, I got to prepare seven years from now that I'm not going to have a job, that I'm just going to be cut off mm -hmm. completely, regardless of my performance. And so now it's something that I think everyone is starting to think about as we put this out into the public sphere. It's just like, okay, well, 
what are my plans seven years from now? Right. Like, do I still want to be at Howard? And if I do, how can I still retain this position at Howard if I feel that I've had an enriching, enriching experience and I want to stay with the same students? Yeah. Cyrus? Yeah, and, and I, I think alongside that, yeah, like, when you're first getting to a university, when you're just saying this is the same, same for any teachers, right? So much of teaching is sort of learning the culture of the space you're moving into. What's the culture of the students? What's the culture of the, the department or the school? Um, and uh, a lot of a lot of sort of teacher studies have shown that, you know, seniority is actually it, it's not one of those things where like, oh, innovation. Right. We, we always think like, oh, fresh, young blood, innovation. But in the case of teachers, it's, it's you know, weathering, veterancy, experience. These things are really what allow for for skilled teachers to be skilled teachers. Um, that, that idea of the sort of like old gnarled teacher who's lost their passion, like that isn't yeah. really the reality. The reality is it's that old gnarled teacher who's been through it and knows how to work with their students and knows how to work with their colleagues. Um, that's the person you want around. Um, and and we lose that, right? We 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 have all these good folks with lots of talent and, and we lose it. So, you know, I, I I think there's something to be said about sort of that youth and that passion, but you know, everything I've heard says that youth and passion is not the only thing. And that in fact, with teaching especially, experience and, and familiarity with the environment, familiarity with the 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 department um, really goes a long way towards better teaching, a better teaching environment, all of that. And I want to point out uh, Lola J on YouTube is saying uh, you shouldn't be thinking seven years down the road to be fair. Most folks don't aim to be le career lecturers. They leverage experience profile toward their next step. However, Cyrus is a unique and increasingly present breed that integrates activism. And actually, I, I want to ask the question. So I know you're an activist as well. Um, so what platforms, what are you... Um, Right now, what are, what are your platforms? What are your ideals? What are you uh, as an activist? So, so my, my big focus right now is certainly all around uh, uh, education. Uh, so, so I've been working with the union at Howard because I really do think that the, the, more, of, the more that we can hear lecturers and teachers, uh, the better off the learning will be for students. Um, I, I got to move up to the master instructor position which means that I don't have to worry about that, you know, for me now, four years down, I don't have to worry about that anymore. And that's let me really lean in to, to working with my students. Um, at the same time, then uh, I've been working with another group, one of my one of my longtime uh, uh, friends from D.C. who has gone on and done a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, she started a group called the Ida B. Wells Education Project, um, and it's all about teachers providing teachers with uh, anti-racist teaching tools. Um, so that, 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 those two have been my big main things, right? It, her, her, there, it's a similar idea, right? They're saying, um, you know, a lot of teachers care a lot about what's going on in the world. A lot of teachers care a lot about seeing equity for their students and in their communities. Um, and not all teachers necessarily have the training or the expertise to talk about it or to work with it. So how can we, teachers who do have that training, do have that expertise, how can we hand that off to them? Um, and and the work they're already doing is, is some really cool stuff is bringing together, creating a community, creating some some free teaching tools, creating some free training um, for, for K-12 teachers in particular. Um, so so that those, those two have been my really big primary things. I've 
you know, dabbled in stuff surrounding police brutality back in grad school, way, way back in high school, I was doing stuff uh, with the anti-war movement uh, uh, when, when Bush was president. So, you know, it's reaching back a ways there, but, but my big focus right now is definitely on education and, and how can we sort of like be aware of life in the classroom and make, make, use our experiences inside the classroom to better what's happening for students and all around us. So um, we're out of time, but I did want to get this one last question online in. A lot of people have been talking about seven years is crazy. Uh, Jose says that, like, but the administration can stay beyond seven years, right? Um, Monica Alicia says that's ridiculous. Um, but Kevin Thaxton asks, eventually the tenured will need to be replaced. Why not create a pool of known assets mm. to potentially place into those positions? Succession. Good point. You know, you, I, I, you, you'd hope that there is some sort of thought. And I imagine, you know, with the relationships we build with the uh, departments that, you know, the departments like us, we have strong relationships with the departments. It's just when you go up above departments, up to the upper administration and the executive board and the president, that's where there's a little bit of disconnect. Um, but I mean, there's part of, part of what's going on here and part of why, you know, the non-tenure folks are in such an uproar across the country right now is that those tenure track jobs, are, they're disappearing. Um, it's, it is uh, a very thin job market out there, uh, the number of jobs where you can get tenure, where you can find that, that what we conceive of as a professor, as, as that traditional professor job, it's, it's really in many ways disappearing. And, and hopefully it doesn't all the way disappear, um, but it's, it's certainly um, shrinking for right now. Um, and so there is certainly hope a lot of us have. A lot of us are, you know, our goal is to move on and see if we can find uh, a tenure track role. But uh, easier said than done is, I guess, the way I, I would I would put that. OK, there's a ton of questions and comments online. So feel free to go on to the Facebook page and make, you know, if you'd like to. But we definitely thank you for joining us. Are there any last words that you'd like to share? Let people know how they can uh, reach out to you or anything. Yeah, yeah. The, I want to say thank, thank you so much for having me. Um, we, we do have a petition. Uh, the, the, the link is a little bit long, um, so maybe I can have you all share it. But if, if you go and you Google um, SEIU uh, Howard University Lecturer Petition, you'll find it. But uh, uh, maybe I can hand it off to, to Lizzie or Neo or Rob D and, and okay. you all can, can share it. Um, but if you want to check out the petition, see some of, some of the specifics of what we're talking about, sign it if you care about it. Um, and share it with your own friends and community members, that would be a really great way to directly help out and just make it known that people who care about HBCUs, people who care about Howard University, care about the, the teaching environment and the learning environment that's, that's happening. Well, again, thank you, Cyrus, so much for joining us. Great conversation. Great conversation. Thanks so much. You all, you all I really appreciate it. You all having, having me on to talk about it, and it's, it's been a great chance to, to chat with you all. All right, we'll see you soon. Thank, thank you, Cyrus. Thank you, Cyrus. Ah, great conversation. Sorry we didn't get to all the comments online. A lot of great comments online. Um, we've got to keep it moving. We've got to keep it moving, though. Yeah. yeah, Cyrus was a great. All right, so time for Hot Topics, guys. Truth, lies, shenanigans. All right, let me tell you what Hot Topics is. One of our hosts will start us out, and they'll tell us what their topic is, if it's a truth, lies, shenanigans, and we'll talk about it. And then once time is up, you'll see our friend Genji. 
And then we'll stop and go to our live audience questions and comments online and talk about it for a little bit more. Uh, so make sure you're talking with us online like you have been all night. Once we're done, we'll go on to the next host and their topic. And tonight, let's start off with Rob B. Rob B. What are we talking about? Well, this is an interesting story that uh, Neil put on my map. That's uh, <laughs> the story of uh, a transgender man in, uh, in Wales, in, in the UK, who does not want to be recorded as the mother on their child's birth certificate. So Freddie McConnell, uh, that's in the uh, image over here, is a journalist in his 30s who was born a woman and wants to be registered as the father or parent on the birth certificate. Now, he's brought to hit this claim to the high court last year and then later to the Court of Appeals, but both of his claims were dismissed um, at the hearings. Uh, the judges at both rulings uh, said that the name mother needs to appear on the certificate. Mm. So unfortunately, this past month or this Monday, uh, the legal challenge suffered another defeat because he was denied permission to mount an appeal to the Supreme Court on the grounds that there was nothing arguable as a point of law. So this means that he can't take it any further in the UK courts. It's a um, it's a landmark case because. Um, after Mr. McConnell became Mr. McConnell became pregnant several weeks after legally transitioning to become a man, um, and he was informed that, that by the General Register Office in the UK that uh, by law they needed to register him as the baby's mother. So when legal proceedings really began in 2019, uh, Mr. McConnell was uh, initially subject to an anonymity order. But it was lifted because it had emerged that he had actually filmed a documentary called Seahorse about uh, his attempts to get pregnant. So my question is, in your opinion, should Freddie McConnell's request to appear as father or parent on the birth certificate, should it have been granted by the UK courts? Should it have been granted? What do you think, Lizzie? Should it have been granted? Lizzie? What's it to the UK courts? Why do they care? Why is this so important to them? Of course it should have been granted, at least in my opinion. Of course it should have been granted. They're not the ones who are um, raising the, this child. They are not the ones who are part of this child's family, a part of this mother, this man's family. Um, so I think that there should be some exceptions to how people, especially in 2020, things have changed. We no longer, or we're moving away from a lot of these antiquated beliefs, antiquated rules, antiquated laws. And I think we have to start to update to keep up with the times. Um, I think I sent you guys an article earlier this week about Illinois the state of Illinois here in the United States, not in the UK, um, but they have been, you know, adjusting their laws as it relates to birth certificates and transgender people and allowing them to decide how they want to classify themselves on the birth certificate. So again, my, my response is like, what is it to the court? Why is this so offensive to the court when they have no say-so? They're not going to be active or involved in this child's life, in this family's life at all. Nia? Um, so, you know, this is one of those dicey conversations to have. But um, 
My thoughts are, I get it. Everyone should be allowed to define themselves for themselves, as I've been telling Lizzie over and over again. <laughs> you are not white, Neo. You are not white. <laughs> but maybe a society, <laughs> you know, it, but with, with a society like ours, it's moving towards acceptance of gender choices and changes. You know, we should also move to more gender neutral terms and pronouns in general, right? You know, because their language like, uh, you know, Chinese or Finnish, your, your favorite, right? That, <laughs> that doesn't have, you know, that has gender neutral terms for people, right? But, you know, with that being said, um, outside of gender, there needs to be a way still to delineate on a birth certificate the actual person that birthed the child. I think this is where, where we're talking about semantics and language, right? So, you know, we refer to the mother as two different things. One, a mother is a female person that birthed a child, right? Or, um, but um, a mother is also defined as the one that birthed the child versus the father who typically doesn't, is not able to birth a child. So I'm just saying, you know, I, I can see where a court could, you know, say, hey, you know, you're not legally, you're not a mother or, or they're defining mother and father as who actually gave birth. Because, you know, you're talking lineage, you're talking about, um, you know, keeping track of, you know, who is what, uh, you know, tax purposes, et cetera, um, legal documents. You want to know who actually gave birth to the child. Um, and yeah, that's maybe this we just need to look for a different term for it is what I'm suggesting. I'm not saying I'm not saying we can define ourselves as whatever, but maybe there just needs to be a different terminology for the person that actually gave birth to a child. Well, maybe people need to not be so lazy. Like if you need to know that information, do a little research. But also he offered not mother, he offered not to just remove mother, he offered to use the word parent. Right. Which is important. But, that, but the, so, the so, word parent doesn't define the actual person that gave birth to the child. But so a is, question to you, Neil, because a child receives their genetic, genetic makeup from both parents. So why does the birth canal... They don't receive the same that? genetic makeup equally. So, I mean, and, and when we're talking lineage, lineage, because, you know, there's an X and a Y chromosome, so, you know, you don't receive the same genetic, you know, I mean, we're, we're not, it's not apples and apples. But what, 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 I mean, and, and, and you probably will educate me on this, but what is the need exactly? If looking at, when you're looking at. Well, then we don't, at, what is the need for a birth certificate in general? What? Right. To the, know the, who the, the birth, I mean, a birth certificate is. But why does it need to be specific? You know who the parents are. Why do you need to be specific in knowing which one of these people birthed this child? I mean, because we're, we're, we're talking, I mean, look, I think, I think it has been defined over the years. Uh, you know, I, don't, I may not be able to answer that question. Um, and maybe, maybe I need to do a little more research to be able to answer that question. But I yeah, I, my I really perspective like that is that that's, birth certificates are intended to define. Ooh, good question from Jeanette Brown. What happens in instances of surrogacy on a birth certificate? That's I think that's really, sucks. but I think that's yeah. a genetic thing. That's that even gets deeper, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that's a, that's a great I, I question. Good. 
I'm really glad that you brought up the Illinois family earlier, uh, Liz, because that's uh, Miles Brady Davis. Uh, I, I did a little bit of research into it. So in Chicago, um, Precious and Miles Brady Davis are the couple that fought for the same thing. So they're in a situation where it's they're both trans. So hmm. the trans man gave birth to the child, and the trans woman provided the genetic material to produce said child. But now they won their appeal, or they won their, yeah, there was an appeal that they made to the courts to appear as the other on the birth certificate, and that was awarded to them. And they had uh, a lot of legal representation, LGBT um, associations were very supportive of them. And it, uh, because by misgendering them on a legal document, you're denying their humanity. And so I think that Chicago got it right. Um, the good state of Illinois got it right. And I think it's going to be more challenges. And as the dialogue is changing, because this is still a new dialogue, if you will, in our society. And these are antiquated ideas that need to be challenged before they're changed, before they're overruled. And I that think that Freddie McConnell... Exactly. So after there will be there will be more challenges like Freddie's in the UK court system. And when these people eventually win their appeals to the court, Freddie will be able to revisit it. And that'll be a big day for him. Also, keep in mind that in some states, you do not have to put your child's father's name on the birth certificate. Mm. So but but, I mean, but you do have to put the mother's name, which. Again, but what's the purpose of the birth certificate in the first place? Then, see, that's what it comes down to—the purpose of the birth certificate. Because you're tracking, you're tracking and tracing nationality, among other things. I mean, it, it, you know, like where where was the child born? Where who you know who, you know, maybe we get rid of birth certificates if that's the case. But um, it's the purpose. What is the purpose of birth certificates? I do think you need some documentation of when and where a child was born. Okay. However, I don't think it I don't think it needs to be as specific. So we don't need to define who who the parents no. were. No. Not if you can have a birth certificate where the father's name doesn't have to be there. It's essentially the registration of a live birth and that's something that needs to be recorded by your by your governments. Otherwise you have no idea what's happening with your population. So I, I understand why, but I I agree with Liz. It doesn't need to be quite as specific as it is as far as just the identifiers. Just as the language and our just, just as everything is evolving it, it, as far as the yeah. situation. And I is think concerned. the language in general needs to evolve. That that really was my main point. Is that I think we need to we, our our language has to evolve to become more gender neutral in general. Also, one more thing, and correct me if I'm wrong, either someone on the panel or out in our viewing audience, for kids that are adopted, if you are a parent who gave your child up for adoption, you have the right to have your identity sealed. And so... In many cases. There yeah. are, in many cases. So that's another situation where no one, at least... You don't need to child, know. The child doesn't know. I love uh, Kevin Daxon. You're just calling thing one and thing two. <laughs> I want to uh, point out some comments online. So we got Lola J. Should, should birth certificates have classifications through 
however many years, and then the individual state chooses the sex or gender. Uh, she also said, this is fascinating, some have argued that marriage certificates should be time-limited, like uh, driver's, <laughs> driving certificates. That's for, you, That's for you, gents. I'm not married. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jose <laughs> says, birthing parent right there, done. Just call it birthing parent. That uh, is a good idea, Jose. This is having earthquakes over there. Uh, Mike Winter, intersex children are, are assigned a gender, a gender. A gender identity is not about semantics and language. Great comments, great comments online. All right, let's jump to our next uh, top, hot topic. Truth, lies, shenanigans. Lord, right. this badass kitty of mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm going to take the next one and see how fast we can go through it. All right, so I am scrolling through uh, news articles and I went across this headline uh, that says NBC reports that Biden hopes to avoid divisive Trump investigations. Basically, basically Biden is saying, to advisors that he doesn't want his administration to be consumed by investigations into Trump and that they will further divide this country. Um, I get Biden's desire to reunite the country, but Trump lied, cheated, and stole his way into and throughout his presidency, and I personally think he deserves to be in jail. My question to you guys is, will we ever see justice with Trump in jail or are the Dems going to punk out like they always do? Robbie. Hmm. I'm not going to call it punking out. It's, uh, but it's definitely poor form to have your former president incarcerated. Although he's a very special brand, he's done some horrible, horrible things. Um, yeah, I, I really don't see it happening. And honestly, the new administration has so many problems that they're inheriting uh, that have been created so quickly over the last four years. Focus on the American people, focus on the issues at hand and revisit Trump as an afterthought because that's what he should be after this transition of power. Okay, Lizzie. Like I said previously, when we were talking about this topic in pre-show, I have been discussing this for the last 24 hours. <laughs> I agree with Joe Biden. Why should his presidency be consumed with whether or not Donald Trump is indicted and goes to jail, especially when you consider, and this is what a lot of people don't know, there's a difference between federal investigations and state investigations. So what Biden is speaking to is federal investigations. That's all he can control, yes. All mm. he can control where the stronger cases are with the state investigations. New York State is chomping at the bit, ready to pounce. They are waiting for him to leave office so they could jump on him. It's because of the investigations with New York State that we know about his alleged tax fraud. They're ready. And the Justice Department has no say-so over what individual states do with their investigation. So I'm with Biden. Like, why should I have my administration, and I'm talking just about his administration, not the yeah. Justice Department that he formulates, puts together, mm -hmm. but just his administration. Why should he 
be the president who's like, okay, I'm going to get Trump. I'm going to focus on putting Trump in jail. When we have a pandemic, we have a country that is at each other's throats. Let the states handle him because the cases are stronger with the states. And just because he says that I don't want my administration to be consumed doesn't mean that he's going to ignore it. He's saying Trump is not the only issue in town. We have real business that we need to get to. This guy's a criminal. Let the let the actual people who can put him in jail without having him be pardoned a couple of years down the road. Let them work on it. Yeah, because yeah, he can only pardon him from federal crimes. But with that being said, um, I don't know. I, I I don't I agree with you in that. You know, we do need to reunite the country because the country is divided because of Trump. And yes, you know, by doing all the investigations, it could further divide the country. I get all of that. Um, but I personally continue to be pissed off at Trump and I would like to see him put in jail. Now, I hope, you, I hope you're right. Pissed off at Trump? But I, I, I think, I think, and, and I'm just so used to like uh, Dems in general backing down, backing off, you know, for the better of the country, which is great. And it, it is for the better of the country, but it really sometimes some people just deserve to, you know, I mean, because, and you got to consider Trump is not going to go away. Um, he's going to have some significant influence if he's not you know, taken down. But he cannot hide from these state lawsuits. He can hide from federal lawsuits. I really feel like Biden can still influence those. He can't. He can influence. I I feel, (laughs) I don't know. These are all elected officials. So again, and and you and I talked about this earlier this week, the state of New York doesn't give a shit. He can't directly do it, but he can indirectly do it shit about Joe Biden. Joe Biden is from Delaware. They don't care about, they are pissed. I hope you're right. They have been pissed off at Donald Trump since day one, especially now because with the new AG in New York, Miss Letitia James, she's not having it. Like they, they want this to happen. They are currently waiting for the Supreme Court again to rule on Trump's um, op- opposition to releasing his ta- his complete tax record. This has been going on for two years, and they have not taken their foot off of his neck. Let the state handle it. Let All I can say is I hope you're right. I- I'm fine to do that, mm. but I hope you're right. I just hope you're right. I hope they do it because, yeah, I just hope they do it. This is- but there are federal crimes that the state can't, there's federal crimes that he had that the state cannot prosecute. So there was a lot of federal crimes uh, those cr- that he broke. Those cases aren't as strong as the state cases. Fair enough. That's what I to say, that those, those crimes, and he can be pardoned from those crimes. Well, he can be, yes, by Biden. He can't be pre barred Or if Biden is, is out of office in four years. That's true. And a, a, comes in. All right, we got some uh, got some comments online. Mike Winner vehemently disagrees with me. Neo, you are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> my brother, my brother is 
<laughs> Daria Winner also says, I agree with Elizabeth, so correct. Uh, Kevin Thaxon said, let the Big Apple eat Agent Orange. Jacqueline Robinson said, preach. Already. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, let's move on to the last one. Let's get to it. We don't have a whole lot of time, so let's go to the next hot topic. That's going to be Lizzie. Truth, lies, and shenanigans, Lizzie. How many manly men do I have out there, y'all? How many manly men? This is... Hey! <laughs> this is pure shenanigans. Pure BS and shenanigans, if you will. So... Conservative activist, Trump supporter, our um, COO N-word girl, <laughs> Candace Owens, she came out earlier this week. So earlier this week, um, Vogue revealed their December cover, and it was a cover featuring um, pop star icon. He used to be a part of One Direction, Harry Styles. Well, Harry Styles is on the cover of Vogue in a dress. In a lot of the um, pictures inside of the spread, inside of the editorial, he appears in either skirts or dresses or what have you. And so Miss Candace took exception to this. She said, and I quote, there's no society that can survive without strong men. The East knows this when the East is in the house. In the West, the steady feminization of our men at the same time that Marxism is being taught to our children, I bet you don't even know what Marxism is, is not a it is an outright attack. Bring back manly men. So she took offense to Harry Styles appearing on the cover of Vogue, inside of Vogue, in dresses, in skirts. And my first thought, and I'm going to ask you guys about your first thought when you heard about this. This is really on your mind in 2020? <laughs> in the third week of November in 2020, this is really what's on your mind? Harry Styles on the cover of a fashion magazine? In a fact, that's performer, a no less. That's a Gucci dress, by the way. Oh, nice. So really, this is really on y'all's mind? What do you say? What say you, Rob B? It's, he's not the first rock star, pop star to dress in women's clothing or in flowing gowns. He's not the first man to dress up. We've got Iggy, we've got Bowie, we've got Kurt Cobain. It's, uh, sure, I, I, it, it, can't, it just made me laugh because Candace Owens, it is, it, any image that I found of her, she's wearing power suits. She's wearing very... <laughs> She's wearing very manly clothing, great and point. she's calling out, and she's calling out Harry for you know the yeah, effeminate where, clothing. Where's her feminine stuff? <laughs> she's not a very so this, feminine it, woman. This is a picture of, um, I believe it is a Samoan police department, if I'm not mistaken. But in Samoan and Polynesian culture, the men wear skirts. They're called lava mm -hmm. lavas. And they're pretty manly. They're pretty manly. Well, Samoans, yeah. There's no question. I went to college with, you know, Samoan football players who would walk freely around campus with their lava lava skirts on. And it was a beautiful thing. Them legs were amazing. Amazing. This is a picture of um, some men of the Kenyan Maasai tribe. 
in their tribal dress. Do y'all see pants? <laughs> Do y'all see any pants? I don't see any pants. I don't see any pants. Y'all, are y'all gonna say they're not men? And this is our the good bruh, Billy Porter, fashioned by Christian Christian or um, Suriano. Beautiful. <laughs> Since he went back on this one, boy. This is a picture from, I believe, the 15th century, if I'm not mistaken. In France. So I think this is France, right? About, I think we're not only talking about, I think this is British. Is we're it? not only talking about skirts, um, dresses, but we're also talking about long wigs. And flowing so capes. Oh, I mean, so as a, as, a, uh, as a guy comfortable in his masculinity as I am, right? <laughs> I can wear a dress. I can do lipstick. I can, I can do fruity smelling body wash, which I definitely always do fruity smelling body wash. <laughs> but I could care less what people think, you know? Uh, Candace Owens, who is she? I, I could care less. I mean, I th- Harry Styles should care less <laughs> what, what, what Candace Owens thinks because, you know, I know what I am and it's all that matters to me. I don't think Harry Styles cares one bit. But let me just offer this, you know, as a parting shot. You know, Candace Owens, again, she is not a friend of the show. She is (laughs) unlikely to ever be. (laughs) She might be one day. You never know. You never know. She is not a friend of the black majority, if you will. Um, But it's funny how she mentions this as something that is in opposition of manliness, if you will, where we have, especially in the black community, where we have a lot of young men running around here with their boxers showing, with their pants hanging off their ass, with their butt cracks showing. How is that manly? How is that not offensive? But yet you're worried about this guy who is doing a photo shoot in a fashion magazine in a $4,000 Gucci dress. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. So I got some comments online for you. So uh, Lola J says, what is considered manly or normal depends on where you are and what time period it is. If a woman performs witchcraft on her neighbor in a certain rural African village, she's considered normal. But if she does it in New Jersey, (laughs) she'll be increasingly gossiped about, (laughs) institutionalized even. (laughs) Rupka says, Candace Owens, hey. (laughs) <laughs> uh Ruben says the Olympian. Uh from Tonga. The Olympian from Tonga. I challenge y'all to tell me that that mofo oh, is yeah. not me. He was all oiled. Go to our website on Facebook and look up <laughs> of the Tongan Olympian. He was a flag bearer. All oiled up and nice and manly. Woo! Mike said, Mike Winter says, Prince was always in heel. Always. I dare you to talk about Prince. I, I, I dare you to talk about Prince negatively. I dare you. I dare uh, you. Mike Wolf says, not even Candace Owens' most recent uh, shenanigans. She is suing Facebook fact checkers for defamation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. That's all for Hot Topics today. Truth, lies, shenanigans. Purple love, purple love. All right, we got our game show today. All right, so today's game show is Would You Rather. 
So all I'm going to do is ask, we're going to do this like hot topics. We're just going to go around the horn and you're going to answer the question, would you rather this or would you rather that? All right. For example, would you rather be able to fly at walking speed or run at the speed of cars? Answers? Mm. Fly. At walking speed? Yeah. Fly. <laughs> yeah. Both of you? Okay, me too. All right. So this, and this is not like our previous one. We're just going to answer the question. Let's go. So I would rather, uh, I'd rather run at the speed of cars, actually. I need to get places. I don't know. I, I can fly across the lake. I can fly up a mountain. Oh, yeah, that's true. You could, you could fly. You could, you could walk. You can fly, walk all the way to like uh, France or something. Elevator's broken. How are your windows? <laughs> All right. Would you rather be healthy but look terrible or be unhealthy and look great? Mm, that's tough. I'm going with uh, uh, gonna, healthy and look terrible. Yeah, I, I'm going to keep being healthy and looking terrible. So it's fine. <laughs> Status quo. I, mean, I feel like I'm already unhealthy and look great. So I'm going <laughs> to stick with that. You got to stick with what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Would you rather always be slightly cold or always slightly have the urge to pee? <laughs> I don't know if I want the urge. I'd be rather be slightly cold. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm getting I mean, older and that. Incontinence isn't cute, right, Rob? Incontinence isn't cute. <laughs> Like it's not a thing. Um, I'm going to stick with being cold. Anyone that knows yeah. me knows cold. I don't like to have, you know, semi-wet panties or whatever. So, no, cold. Cold. <laughs> How would you ever fall asleep if you slightly had the urge to pee all the time? That's <laughs> true. So, uh, Kevin Daxon said cold. He said, Ropka says, I'm always both. <laughs> <laughs> by the way lola j said i, I want to look ungratefully healthy and uh reuben says i'm already unhealthy and look great no wait there you go reuben. Reuben. we look good boy we look good all right would you rather lose all of your memories from birth to now or lose your ability to make new long-term memories mm. So you would forget so nothing else going forward you would you would remember. I live off a lot of my memories, especially of my dad, especially of, you know, people that I've lost, but it's also especially of good times that I've had. So I, I like my memories. I like my memories. Robbie? Hmm. That's interesting because losing all of your memories from birth to now would also imply that you lose yourself. That's true. So it's either a complete read. Yeah. And it's so scared. The question just reminds me of Alzheimer's. So yeah. Yeah. I'd rather keep my memories. I, I'm, I'm with Lizzie on this one. Also, right. I like who I am. I had a good memory. And this will surprise a lot of folks. I had a good memory of my mom the other day. Who would yeah. have <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. I, have, I have a few good memories of my mother as well. Yeah. Who would have thunk it? 
So yeah, I'll keep my memories. All right. Yeah. Last one. Last one. Would you rather change your religion? Oh no, I'm skipping this. And this is all right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a moot question. I didn't know. I didn't know the answers to the panels. What religion? What religion? What religion? So would you rather have a parrot that repeats everything you say or a llama that spits on on you whenever you walk on the door? Parrot. Parrot. I can't do Hell yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm with you on the parrot. <laughs> All right. One more. One more. We'll do the last one. One more, one more. I know we're out of, we're out of time. But one more. Would you rather have one nipple or have two belly buttons? <laughs> <laughs> Two belly buttons, because everything else is a pair. <laughs> I mean, obviously I'm going to go. Obviously, I'm going to go with two belly buttons because I have two beautiful nipples, Wendy and Lisa. So yes. Not <laughs> <laughs> All right. So no straight winner. We were... <laughs> All right, we're going to let the audience decide who won this this uh, <laughs> this battle of Would You Rather. So go my online and tell us who won this battle of who. My who are featured in a Prince song from Future Boo, Wendy. Yes, Lisa. Y'all know. Y'all know. <laughs> All right, so so pick your pick your winner so we they get the final thought of the day. All right, shout outs, guys. Shout outs, Lizzie. Shout out, shout out going to Howard University who um, we were glad to have Cyrus on with us this evening to break down some of the, you know, problems, administrative problems that we have, but also because it is a great Mecca, it's a great university, a historically black college in the nation's capital that everyone wants to go to. So shout out to Howard University. It's our intention to make you bigger and better and brighter. Robbie, shout out to labor movements all around that really help provide essential workers with a good standard of living. Um, I think that what Cyrus is doing, his advocacy is absolutely wonderful. Shout out to Jose for all the support that she provides for the show uh, on the back end. It's absolutely amazing. Jose is awesome. Yeah. Jose. Yeah. And went, shout out to the audience. Amazing participation. A lot of laughs. Thank you. Yeah, that today was, was a fun tonight. day with the audience. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a lot of fun today. Uh, yeah, let me let me call out a few people online. So Lola J, thanks for joining us. Jose, Mike Winter, Monica, Alicia. So it looks like, uh-oh. Okay, so I'm seeing where we're going. Okay. Um, Kevin Dax and Liana joined us. All right, Liana, good to see you. Rupka. I think I'm gonna get in trouble from my sister and from my mentor, Miss Daria Winter. Whoop, hi. Hi. <laughs> All right, and my my, my actual shout out goes out to Gianni. Gianni wasn't able to join us because she wasn't feeling well tonight, but she this weekend she did have a runway. I'm just gonna show one of her videos real quick, and we'll show the rest when she comes back on the show. But yeah, she was killing it out there. Look at that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Yes, work it, Gianni. I see you, girl. We'll see you back as soon as you can, as soon as you can feel better. All right. All right. So that's all the time we have for tonight's show. I'd like to thank you all for joining us. We hope that maybe you learned something, gained a new perspective, even got something off your chest. But most importantly, 
We hope you had some fun. Don't forget to like, follow, subscribe at TLS Live Show. And if you missed any of today's episodes, check out our clips online on YouTube, Facebook uh, tomorrow, uh, and you can share those out. Remember, you can also listen to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Alexa, you name it. You should be able to find us. Just search for or ask for your favorite digital, ask your favorite digital assistance for the Truth Lies Shenanigans podcast, or simply go to tlsshow.com and you'll find us there. A lot, a lot of fun tonight. Hope you guys had some fun too. Make sure you join our next live show on Sunday, 4 p.m. And make sure you listen or tune in. Let me look online to see who was our winner. And it looks like Liz E gets the win. Look at Liz E. Good job. Good job. Is the water warm enough? Yes, Lisa. <laughs> All right. You get, the, you get the final thought for the day, Liz e. What's the final thought? Again, and I think I mentioned this on Sunday, the virus numbers are surging. People, please be careful. Please wear your mask. Please socially distance properly. The only way we can overcome this is if you pay attention and do what you can to remain safe. All right, guys. Word. Stay safe. Stay safe. We'll see you guys on Sunday. Now, just to let you know, we will not be having a show next Wednesday. So make sure you join us Sunday, Sunday for the last show before Thanksgiving. See you guys later. We got some food to cook, y'all. Some food to cook.